we as the church, we've let so many things crowd out the simplicity of our devotion to Jesus. Mm. That man is lost. Jesus is the only Savior. And every eyes that I lock eyes with, those are eyes that Jesus loves. That you have never gone one day in your life when you weren't loved. God loves you every day of your life, all day long, and His love hasn't changed. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today, David Ford is in the house. Recently, he was on the show, and time, of course, is our enemy on the show, (laughs) and we ran out of it, (laughs) didn't have enough of it. We could only stretch so much into the 27 minutes, which this show has to be exactly to fit that time format. I only had maybe a fourth of my questions that I wanted to talk with David about. He was gracious to come back and visit with us. You said you used to have your own radio show. I did. It was called America Back to God. It was in syndication across the country and covered cities like Atlanta, New Orleans, and other places around the country. So would you preach or teach? Well, it was a variety. It was some exposition of Scripture. We always had a prayer segment right in the middle of it, and I had music fade in, and we'd go to prayer. So it was more like giving the Word, praying the Word and then closing at the end of it again. And that was every time we had the prayer in there, right in the middle. I know God has fashioned your heart for a cry of revival, to see revival in our churches in this country. I'm sure the burden would be worldwide. God's given you a ministry here, and you work with churches, and you have opportunity to preach and to lead crusades. Of course, I know some of that's been circumvented because of COVID. Right. That's kind of changing, though. It is. The doors are opening back up again in churches as far as the meetings like that goes. I think COVID has opened up and begun a lot of new ministries for people that they did not do before. They're walking in the opportunity that God's giving them. David, is the church in America close to revival, or are we far away from it? I think we're touching on the embers and praying for revival. There's a lot of people praying for revival right now. I think the, the shape of the nation and the condition of the nation and the COVID and all of that, it's, it's, it's rocked a lot of people for good. I'm seeing that. I always get back to two verses, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, and then Hosea ten twelve. Hosea says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. I think we quit praying too quickly. And personal prayer is the test tube of all prayer. If I don't know the liberation of prayer in my personal prayer life, I'll never know it in my public prayer life with other people. And so it's staying there until it's getting right with God. I try not to let myself get too silent unless the Holy Spirit silences my heart. But when you pray verbally, you can tell whether the hand of God is on you or not while you're praying. And if he's not, you say, dear God, I I cannot pray without you. I will not pray without you. I ask you, God, to melt my heart, to bend me, to bend me, to melt my soul before you in prayer. And I ask you to manifest through me your spirit of prayer right now. And I keep on going, and all of a sudden, there's wave after wave of the torrents of the presence of God in the place of prayer, praying for all kinds of things. In fact, there's times when God will lay on my heart, turn the TV on to watch the news to see answers to prayer. And I'll turn it on, and I'll see clearly specific answers to prayer. I have people come to my house, why do you got a TV in your home? Because I pray. I'm not ignorant of my times. If you I, don't I pray, TV be. can cause you to pray, right? It's very, very much so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The power of revival through the Holy Spirit, the movement mm-hmm. of God, we have a tendency to look at 
things like programs and people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to cause things to happen for God. Right. But that can be so empty, David. That can be not really the work of God. We confuse it, don't we? We really do. In fact, the pastors that I know and I've, I've had fellowship with that have gone through those seasons, they come to a point, they say, what do I really have here? I built it on horse and ponies or whatever it is, but I can't get 10 people to show up to a prayer meeting. So what do you really have? In the Lewis Awakening, they felt if you didn't go to their prayer meeting, that was the evidence of your new birth. Because new babies cry out, Abba, Father. And if you don't want to pray, you're probably not born again. If we put the parameter of the prayer meeting of the church as the barometer of who's really born again, how many are really born again? Now, you know what I'm saying when I say sure, that. Sure. But is the fire there to pray? Thank and on the flip side of that, sometimes we have to be careful that we don't use prayer as a showmanship in front of others. Right, right. Maybe because of spiritual pride. And yeah. I, I'm saying this carefully because yeah. I don't want to cast judgment on right. prayer gatherings because right. Jesus talked about how the Pharisees prayed yeah. and said, you go into your closets exactly, and pray to your Heavenly Father. Exactly. And I would say if you're not praying in the closet, you don't need to be praying in the convention centers, you know? There needs exactly. to be a balance, right? Exactly, exactly. I, I remember I was asked last year to go and pray at the, the return in D.C. On the, on the platform. You get 30 seconds. They had me scheduled four times to pray at that event, which was a, an honor of a lifetime sure. to best. And they said later on that was the largest viewed Christian in history. And I forget how many millions and millions. But what I was constantly being reminded of beforehand is be clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Prayer isn't me trying to get to God. Prayer is allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through me back to God. Prayer begins in the heart of God, not the heart of David. And I'm nothing. So the more we stay dead to self, the more the Spirit of God will do in prayer. Are there specific signs of God's judgment that we must pay attention to? I believe that America right now in many ways is under God's judgment already. If you look back at Billy Graham's preaching in the 49 Crusade in Los Angeles, for an example, and in the 50s, he often preached that judgment was, was, was looming and hanging over the cities of America. But that's what often brings people to the place of repentance. Titus Cone, 1835, the Sandwich Islands, now we call them the Hawaiian Islands, there's a volcano erupting. It got the attention of the people. You could ring a bell and have 5,000 people show up. There was a mighty move of God in Hawaii in 1835. Titus Cone was a relative of Asa Nettleton, which was a contemporary of Finney. God used both of them mightily in revival. But often God uses those warnings to get people's attention. The essence of revival is the manifest presence of God bringing about a brokenness in the hearts of people. Why is it when God comes in his manifest presence, people begin weeping instantly? That's the presence of God melting their hearts. And so when God really comes in revival, what's the result of that? You do humble yourself. You do pray, which means to be an advocate for another. You do seek his face. You do turn from your wicked ways. In a 2012 article of the Gospel Coalition, I read this story about John Mahaffey, who is the senior pastor of West Highland Baptist Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Mm. He said in 1900, 25% of Canadians were evangelical in conviction. That number fell to 8% in 1980, but has since rebounded to almost 11%. This resurgence since the 80s is encouraging, but this devastating decline of over the last 100 years Mm -hmm. has left a negative mark on Canada. Mm -hmm. Theological liberalism was primarily responsible. Theological liberalism, David, has been a threat to the church from its conception. Talk Mm -hmm. about the dangers of attaching liberal thought to the gospel. Well, it diminishes the power of the message preached. The power is in the word. The power is in the gospel itself. You go back and look at any historic revival in the preaching, it was often on heaven, hell, judgment, being right with God, the cross, 
the cross is central to all of it. Your view of sin is often what determines your view of God. If you think little of sin, you're going to think little of the sacrifice that it costs for that sin. Yes. And so those things are a massive impact. And so a lot of the preaching in revival, there's a difference between preaching for revival and about revival and revival preaching. I used to preach toward revival for years till I began to see God break out in revival. Your preaching changes, not so much the message, but when you pray for God to come and he has come, and you try to start a service, and God sits down in the auditorium with those people in his manifest presence, and you sit there in silence and weeping for an hour, and nobody can move, and everyone just sits and weeps for an hour. And you feel like you'd be touching the ark if you said or did anything. That's life-changing. And so are you still going to pray, God, come? Well, he's here. I've seen people where God's moving in a service, and they get up and pray, Hello, we ask you to come tonight. Where are you? (laughs) Are you not in the same room that I'm in? God is here. Here's the beauty, though, of it, Byron. Here's the beauty of it. In the Old Testament, they would take the high priest, Aaron with his sons, and also the leper. So it's not just ministerial. It's people, the leper as well. They would take blood and put it on the right toe. And if I would have closest to God, I must walk under the power of the blood of Jesus. On the right thumb, my my direction of the toe, my thumb of occupation, all that I do, knowing the blood of Jesus cleansing. And then the right earlobe, my perception. Remember it was after Isaiah, when they came and took tongues, and a live coal from off the altar, and touched his lips, lo, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And then he heard the voice of God after that. Here am I, not here I am. Here am I, send me. So the principle is the blood and the toe, right thumb and the right earlobe. But they didn't stop there. He also took oil Byron and put it on the blood on the right toe, the right thumb, and the right earlobe. And here's the power that where the blood of Jesus cleanses, the Spirit of God anoints. And when he said in the scripture, When I see the blood, I will pass over you, that word Passover is used of a hen in Isaiah of a hen hovering over her little chicks. God is saying, When I see the blood, I will hover over you. If you want to know not just the indwelling presence of God, don't be afraid of the manifest presence of God. If you want to know the manifest presence of God, you walk in the light under the power of the continual cleansing of the blood of the Lamb. And God promises, when I see the blood, I will hover over you. You know, David, I was in a meeting one time with Steve Brown was the speaker. Oh, yes. I love Steve Brown. (laughs) And, that uh, big, deep voice of his. Yeah, oh, my goodness. <laughs> he came up with his robe, the ministerial robe Certainly. that a lot of pastors will preach in. As the service started, there was an invocation prayer read in the service. And the very first thing that Steve did when he got up, do you mind if I take this robe off? Hmm. And he took the robe off, mm-hmm. and he said, and another thing, you need to get rid of that prayer. God is here. You don't have to invite yeah. him to be here. Right, God right. is here. Right. Are you listening for him? I think we have these traditions yeah. and these formalities yeah. that we cannot hold to at the expense of the Holy Spirit moving among us. And Byron, don't you think sometimes it's because people are afraid of the Holy Spirit? They hide behind their theology, not God's theology. They hide behind, and really it's just fear of letting the Spirit of God be Lord. Dr. Over Stephen Olford, when he went through that experience in 1946, he heard a missionary preaching, and he had such a freedom. He went to me and said, my brother, my brother, how do you preach with such liberty in your ministry? He said, Stephen, my boy, have you had your rabia with God? He said, what do you mean? He said, get alone with God and let, until God changes you. So he did. He read Venai Creator by Hanley Mole, F.B. Myers' books, The Self-Life for the Christ Life. On the 10th day, he was looking at Ephesians 5.18 and had a little O cross-reference over to 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. He saw that that's translated in the literal, 
the Lord the Spirit. It could actually be translated, rightly so, where the Spirit is Lord, there's liberty. And right there, he said, on my knees, I crowned the Spirit of God, Lord of my life. I was set free. He said, I didn't have to stay any longer. My time was up. I went downstairs to pay the lady and leave. She said, young man, your time's not over yet. He said, oh, yes, ma'am, it is. She said, young man, what's happened to you? You look like someone who's come out of the Welsh Revival. You're glowing with the glory of God. He said, ma'am, God's met with me. He went that night. Someone else was supposed to preach for him. They saw him in the back, called him to the front. He simply shared what God had done with him. It broke out that night. They were there till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. A few weeks later, he was preaching somewhere else on the Lordship of Christ, the cost of discipleship. And he said, there'll be an after meeting in the second tent over here. I'm going to sit down and rest for a few minutes. I'll meet you over there if you have further inquiry. He sat down, he looked up, and all of a sudden there was a man, a tall man, standing in front of him wearing a pink suit. And he said, Stephen, why didn't you give an invitation? He said, I did. I'll be over there in about 10 minutes. He said, no, I've got to know more about this. And uh, they arranged to get together not long after that at a, a bed and breakfast kind of place. And for two days, young Stephen Nofer shared with us a little bit younger preacher the principles of the Lordship of the Holy Spirit, but also don't ever miss your daily quiet time, Mark one thirty five. Don't ever leave that morning quiet time until you have an ungrieved, unquenched spirit of the living God <laughs> filling and flooding your life. And on the second day, that young man saw the principle of when the spirit is Lord, there's liberty. He said, Stephen, I see it. I see it. My whole ministry has changed. He rode back. Stephen rode back to his home that night. Uh, he didn't have the key. His father had to come and unlock the door let him in. He said, Stephen, where have you been, my boy? And he said, here, sit down. Tell me what's going on. He said, Father, Father, he said, I've been meeting with an American evangelist. He said, God has met him. God's turned his life upside down. He knows the fresh lordship of the Holy Spirit in his ministry. He said, well, what's his name? He said, his name is Billy Graham. Yes, I've heard that story. It's powerful, isn't it? It's so powerful, yeah. And it was, I believe, Dr. Graham's first trip to Europe. It was. He was with Youth for Christ, 1946. And they met and had that meeting. There was another man by the name of C.S. Lewis. And he said, please teach me what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The late Heather Olford, Dr. Olford's wife, Heather, she was on this program and shared that story with me. Okay, did she? C.S. Lewis came and asked for the same help in the Spirit-filled life. Well, you take men like Majorian Thomas and Luis Palau came to him. I have to know about this. I like what Billy Graham said. I don't care what you call it. Just get it. You know. <laughs> I love that. I love that, David. <laughs> well, I want to go back to the the Canadian conversation in light of what the uh, senior pastor at uh, West Highland Baptist wrote, John Mahaffey. Mm-hmm. He says, Canada takes the highest percentage of immigrants each year of any nation in the world. Now, that's lower than the numbers who immigrate here to the U.S., but when you consider the fact that Canada is just 35 million people, 300,000 immigrants received each year is staggering. Mm. Toronto is the most international city in the world. Vancouver is actually the second largest Sikh city in the world. The face of our nation is changing as well. Mm-hmm. Many are protesting this, even among Christians. But mm-hmm. if the church is serious about the gospel and its mission, we must engage these changes, David. How do we communicate the gospel to a Hindu? How do we share the gospel with a Muslim? Our neighbors used to be those who were physically close and culturally close. Now they're physically close and culturally distant. Mm-hmm. The people of the nations are coming here. Mm-hmm. The face of our land is changing quickly. The church cannot forsake our mandate to make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. God's bringing the harvest here. Someone asked a pastor of a large church in Phoenix years ago, they said, well, how do you minister to witness to someone like, and they gave some name of some professional basketball player. 
uh, and he said, well, does he speak English? <laughs> Tell him. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we've made it too complex. It's almost like we want to give an unbeliever a seminary education before we simply present the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've lost faith many in the power of the, just the gospel itself, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But the gospel of Christ is not only the only message of deliverance, it's the only method of deliverance, the crucified life, the cross. And so I, I think if we just get back to just presenting and sharing the gospel and calling people to faith and repentance, God's already working in their heart. Repentance is not a work to try to earn salvation. Repentance is the evidence of grace in someone's life. When God brings conviction to somebody, which is what the Holy Spirit does, it's the grace of God that brings them to repentance. I hear some say, you have to get regenerated before you can get converted or saved. And I say, well, where's that come from? Well, they say, well, the dead man can't respond. Well, excuse me. Your spirit's dead to God, but your soul is fully active. And when God brings conviction, he brings conviction to your soul, your mind, your will, emotion, your conscience. That conviction does its work, and your soul responds to the gospel. That's when your spirit is quickened and made alive to God. They say, well, the dead man can't respond. Your spirit's dead, but your soul isn't. Your soul is active before God. That probably just caused a big debate right there. But many say that. And they're not very evangelistic themselves. They well, want to sit back and, well, if they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved. No, God told you to go tell them. And the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is. It doesn't make sense. Right. But when the soul understands the gospel, when God enlightens the soul to understand the gospel, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that transformation takes place when that soul reaches out in faith exactly. and realizes that they are hopeless, helpless, and all they have is the gospel. Exactly. Yeah, they come to the end of self, self self-dependent. My mom told me just this weekend, afresh, her testimony story, that she walked an aisle when she was a little girl in the hills of Missouri because a a friend wanted her to go to the altar and get saved, and she did, and nothing happened. I got baptized, but I wasn't changed. Somewhere else I did the same thing, but I wasn't changed. She said, finally, in Oxnard, California, 3100 South C Street is where we lived. She told my dad, she said, honey, I need to be alone in the bedroom. Please keep the kids. I've got to be alone. And she said, David, I went back to that bedroom, and I got alone with God until I knew that Jesus had saved me. It wasn't just saying the words of something, but God doesn't need more than one verse for someone to get saved. No, We're we're born again by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. I've seen people get saved, and I just had them pray Romans 10, 13. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they would pray, Lord Jesus, your word says whoever shall call, Lord, I'm a whoever. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord, Jesus, I'm calling on your name right now. I am a sinner. I need you. He said, Lord, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then they'd pray it again. And then they'd pray it again. That one verse, and the Holy Spirit would take that verse, quicken faith in their heart. And I would see them literally go, I said, what happened? They said, I just got saved. (laughs) It's that clear. Not always to everyone is it the same clarity. But when you're really born again, the Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. Don Ballard is a brother who's been on the show in the past, David, and he recalls a story as a young married couple. He and his wife were living in San Diego. He was a young Navy sailor. The war had just been announced, and they had been listening on the radio to Charles Fuller, the old-time gospel hour, and it was through the words of that preacher sharing the gospel Mm -hmm. that Don told his wife, honey, we need to get saved. Yeah. And so they went down to the corner mission, and there was a service Mm -hmm. going on, and the gospel invitation was offered, and he gave his Mm -hmm. heart to Jesus, Mm -hmm. and then he went off to uh, the war. Mm. And he shared some incredible stories of God's Mm. deliverance and Mm. how God 
protected him and many of the men yeah. that he served with. But came back to America, became a chaplain yeah. in the Navy. But he also was a pastor in a little country church in Kentucky. And he said that he gave a gospel invitation. And it was this elderly gentleman who walked down the aisle. And he remembered him getting at the altar and praying. And it was a man by the name of Harlan Sanders, hmm. who was the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, my. How about that? <laughs> who would have known? Who would have known? Know? Who would have known? But because of the obedience of hearing God's voice and yeah. responding to the gospel. And, and that's key, isn't it? Yes. When you hear God calling you to himself, to respond to it. Billy Graham used to always say, I'm not preaching until they hear another voice. And on that note, I want to add, I think, I think we need to get back to having area-wide crusades. Because usually a single church meeting revival, it'll affect that church and maybe a few other people. But when you have an area-wide, city-wide, everyone's talking about the gospel. Everyone's talking about the meeting. It opens up many opportunities So you don't feel those days are behind us? I do not at all. In fact, I kind of laugh because after every D.L. Moody or someone that died, these know-it-alls say, well, those days are gone. That'll never happen again. And God says, watch me. And he raises up a Billy Graham. Watch what I do. God just loves proving people wrong when they get that high and mighty attitude. You know, something else that I just recently discovered about Dwight L. Moody, that he wasn't educated as a, a minister of the gospel. No. No, he wasn't. Never was ordained. Never never was ordained. He loved people to Jesus. Yes. God broke him time and again. I mean, the Chicago fire, God used that to get his attention. Yes. yes. But when he heard Henry Varley make that comment that the world is yet to see what God can do in, through, from, and for a life wholly consecrated to him, Moody said, by God's grace, I'll be that man. David, speak to the Christian that's listening to us right now that's discouraged. It feels like they've gotten off track with God and and maybe doubting if their relationship with Christ was ever a reality. I just say humble yourself. I take hope in the fact that when I feel like I can't get to the cross, the cross comes to me. And sometimes you feel you're so powerless and weak you can't even get to God. Just say, God, I can't even get to you. It's amazing how God will show you his mercy. If you just get honest with him, tell him exactly where you are, and all of a sudden you'll sense his presence. And maybe someone's not really born again. Tell God, God, I'm not even sure if I'm saved or not. But best I know, I call on your name to save me. I'm an old wretched sinner. I'm not ashamed of being honest with you about my sin. Jesus, I need you. You said whoever will call on your name, you'll save them. God, I'm nothing, but I call on your name. And watch how suddenly God has mercy and grace. And things change. They change. He's so merciful. He's waiting for that son, that prodigal, to come home. He's waiting. And his grace will bring us back to him. Yes, his grace. David, as we wrap up this show, what are some things that you feel should frequent the prayer list of believers? In the context of revival, after I was in those meetings that went for four months in one church, and most meetings even today go beyond scheduled dates. I was driving, and I just began to have this clarity about, I call it the seven C's of revival. Number one, come. God to us and us to God. Isaiah 64, O God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Ask God to come in his manifest presence, his manifest presence. The old saints talked about the indwelling presence of God, the omnipresence of God. God's everywhere. The cultivated presence of God in your daily quiet time. You have time with God in prayer and God meets with you. But they also talked about the manifest presence of God. That's not the indwelling. That's not the cultivated. That's when God comes in his manifest breath, like in Isaiah 64, Acts 3, seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Ask him to come. James 4 says, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Now, James knew about the indwelling Christ. Can we get some, they want to focus so much on the indwelling Christ. Well, you already have everything. I know you do. 
Prayer isn't me getting something into my account that I don't already have. Prayer is the birthing out of what I already have in Christ. Yes. Oh, come on, somebody. <laughs> we got many hiding behind the identification principles. I'm co-death, burial, co-resurrection, et cetera, with Christ. Well, what do you do with all the Greek words about agonizomai when you pray, an agony of your soul? Pray for God to come, us to God, John 7. Number two, when he does come, there's conviction, John 16. Number three, I pray for the confession, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. And so, the confession, through acknowledging, through repenting, through forsaking, and then there's cleansing. Well, what I confess, what he convicts of, and I confess, he cleanses. Whom he cleanses, he fills. Whom he fills, he uses. So there's the cleansing of the blood of Jesus going on, present tense cleansing from all sin. Then the clothing put on the Lord Jesus Christ, his sovereign life, Jesus is saving life, Christ is sanctifying life, the power of Christ, tear ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high, and then sixth, conquer, knowing the conquering life of Christ over the world, the flesh, and the devil, and when you do that, then you know the commission of God, who will go for us. And so you've gone from the come, the seven seas of God come, and I tell you what, I cannot tell you how many times it is praying over people. I say, God, in my spirit, come right now. Yes, this lady needs you. She needs you. Driving in this morning, I was listening on the radio, and they were sharing this story of a son who tased his mom on Mother's Day because mm. he couldn't find his cell phone. His girlfriend and their child are living there. The radio announcer, they were kind of making light and kind of a joke of it, but my heart was going, oh, this family needs Jesus. Yeah, they do. And there's so many families like that, David, that need Christ. I think, and I'm guilty, but we as the church, we have let so many things crowd out the simplicity of our devotion to Jesus, Mm. that man is lost. Jesus is the only Savior. And every eyes that I lock eyes with, those are eyes that Jesus loves, that you have never gone one day in your life when you weren't loved. God loves you every day of your life, all day long, and his love hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. And that love is what draws people up. I saw over 4,000 come to Christ in one month. I'd watch. I only had sometimes 10 minutes to speak. I'd watch the spirit of love melt people's hearts right there in his manifest presence, and they begin weeping, standing right there. And they respond and give their heart to Jesus, and they're transformed and changed. The Holy Spirit hasn't checked out. No, he hasn't. But we have to check out, David, because our time is gone. Ah, what a segue. segue. (laughs) (laughs) It's always a joy to have you, David Ford, here with us on Mid-South Viewpoint. Give us the address to website and information to find out more about the David Ford Globe for Christ ministry. Yeah, the website's globeforchrist.com, G-L-O-B-E-F-O-R-C-H-R-I-S-T, globeforchrist.com. If they want to email me directly, it's Phoenix Ford, like the city of Phoenix, Arizona, phoenixford at mac.com. And I'll respond to that. All right, brother. God bless you. Thank you so much, man. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye. <laughs> 